0: Hello, this is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOSDiva.com. And I hear from so many women on Facebook and that reach out to me through my blog that, you know, women with PCOS really struggle with fertility. And uh, I know I was certainly one of those women that tried so hard to get pregnant. When I finally got pregnant, you know, I really didn't know uh, if I was supposed to be doing something special because I had PCOS in order to, you know, have a healthy pregnancy. And I think there's a lot of confusion around this issue, and I'm so pleased today to be – introducing you to a a really wonderful PCOS expert, and her name is Rebecca Murray. She is a board-certified family nurse practitioner with over 28 years of experience, and she specializes in an integrative approach, which I really love, uh, to the prevention, evaluation, and treatment of medical problems in her area's of expertise and focus is perfect for, for us. I mean she's looking and treating patients with metabolic syndrome and insulin resistance, obesity, weight management, the prevention of diabetes and that's an area of certification and hormonal imbalances, particularly PCOS. Rebecca is currently an assistant clinical professor of nursing at Yale University, and she's written numerous articles in peer-reviewed medical journals, including a CEU program for PCOS. And she speaks locally and nationally at professional conferences on the use of nutritional approaches to the prevention and treatment of numerous chronic health conditions. So I'm so pleased to have her here with us today. So welcome, Rebecca.
1: It's my pleasure to be on your program tonight. Uh,
0: well, I just um, wanted to really dive right in. Uh, the women that you're treating in your practice with PCOS – Um, You know, as you're counseling them um, through, you know, your fertility counseling and then after um, they do become pregnant, what do you think are really the key um, factors?
1: Well, first of all, I try to focus on what I call pre prenatal because when we all talk about prenatal we're talking about the nine months of gestation prior to the birth of the child but so much needs to go on before that so if I am having women in my practice or older teens that I know have a diagnosis of PCOS and we can get into that the diagnosis in just a few minutes but known that way I tell them that because long before they are actually making the decision to try and get pregnant that they need to do a, some, a few things. And first of all, I, I call it cleaning house because your body is the house where that fetus is going to reside for nine months. Mm-hmm. And the environment of that house is going to make a big difference on the optimal growth and development of the fetus, so first of all, I tell them I need, they need to look at their diet, what they are taking in. Um, if if there, I would suggest that if there is a thought that they have a severe toxicity load for any reason, that they try to follow through with an integrative practitioner because there are um, tests available to actually evaluate say one's levels of mercury and lead not good to have lead in your system when carrying a baby Um, and other heavy metals if somebody can do that but one of the things that I just like to do just across the board is do like a cleansing I do a detox program it kind of like gets them ready for making changes in their nutrition, getting away from the junk food. There's a number of detoxification for, um, um, programs available. Um, since I, I mainly do in my office uh, Designs for Health prog- um, um, products, you know, there they have um, multiple different programs that already have pre-made um, handouts on the different types of meals, how to make protein shakes, but it basically is eliminating um, junk food, eliminating um, non-organic meats that can be full of pesticides um, and hormones, and also taking um, vitamins and also nutrients that help the liver to process and get rid of any of the toxins that have been accumulated in the body. A lot of people don't realize that, the toxins, the pesticides, um, the bovine growth hormone that is in so many of our uh, meats and milk products, um, they reside in the fat in our body. And when a person goes on either a weight loss program, say, oh, I'd love to lose a few pounds before I get pregnant, that as they break down the fat, they're also releasing some of the toxins into their system so it's extremely important that they try to keep their liver healthy. So in these detox programs, no matter what you choose, there usually is a component in there where it gives you the nutrients that support liver health. So think of you know the you know the um, the liver as your processing system in your body um, to be able to get rid of um, the toxins. So it has to be healthy. So that would include things like um say milk thistle. Um, I actually use a product called the Metal X Synergy that's got in it organic chlorella, and it's got um, um, N-acetylcysteine, which is also extremely important in liver processing, modified citrus pectin. These are all things that I tell people that they should do this. I would not ever suggest anybody to go on a major detox program after they have been um, um found to be pregnant. It is definitely cleaning up the diet, but you do not want to be dumping a lot of um, toxins into your system. So this is my pre-prenatal program. The other thing that I would ask that they, if they're being followed by their primary, is to just have their um, thyroid function evaluated. We know that women that go into pregnancy who have borderline hypothyroidism that the baby's brain um, development suffers from that and so it would just behoove them just to get a, a, a good thyroid evaluation not just the TSH but also including um, a free T3 and a free T4 because that you would want to optimize before you're getting um, pregnant. Um, the other thing that I also promote is the intake of really good healthy fats ahead of time and that would include even more of the DHA. Uh, I thought, because I've been in this field for so long and, you know, built in the hospital system and we would see these premature babies being born and their brain is still obviously developing and and I remember when the first formula came out saying that they put DHA in the formula for these babies. And I said, oh, isn't that smart? Because the mom should be taking good amounts of DHA during the pregnancy, and they would have been supporting the baby through their own, you know, through circulation. But um, DHA, I cannot speak <gasps> More, enough about placing the importance of having adequate amounts of omega threes, good fatty acids, um, and especially the DHA in in the body. So that's uh, that's kind of a nutshell of what I would look at for a person who is thinking about becoming pregnant. Um, yeah,
0: you know, really excellent advice. I, I think that a lot of um, women with PCOS do have hypothyroid conditions and possibly even autoimmune thyroid like Hashimoto's. And mm-hmm. I think that that um, women probably you know, often are undiagnosed. And mm-hmm. it's just really important, as you mentioned, to advocate and ask for more than just the T- TSH. test. mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So very important there. And, um, you know, I also heard you mention um, N-acetylcysteine, and I've been seeing a lot of positive research uh, for including that kind of like in your supplement uh, regimen, which I I do for PCOS in general. And just interesting, um, you know, that it does also help, you know, as you said, with with liver health and um, detoxification too. Yeah, it it helps it helps with the processing through the liver. And a a little example that
1: I use because my background is in the hospital, and when we would get people in through the emergency, say teenagers, the typical overdose with you know Tylenol because they were mad at the parent at the moment, um, hmm. we would give them IV. IV something, right, to help clear the metabolites of acetaminophen and actually help with the um, detoxification through the liver. And most people do not know that what we gave them IV was IV N-acetylcysteine because it promoted the detoxification through the liver of the very, very, very toxic metabolites of acetaminophen that could have put them into hepatic failure and that's what people die up with an acetaminophen. So um, I'll just give you another little caveat In the way I use it is that I, I uh, my practice is very close to a lot of the casinos and you can imagine all of the carpet, the glues, par- the, the particle boards, all of that stuff in a very close environment. And I would have people coming to me and saying, oh my God, I'm getting headaches like three hours into my shift. Well, I do not want my women who are um, wanting to get pregnant or pregnant downing huge amounts of ibuprofen you know, through their shift just to try to evade the headache. So what I would tell them to do is take N-acetyl-15, take about four capsules, um, eight to 16 ounces of water before their shift, and another four capsules halfway through their shift, just to try to increase um, the detoxification of what they were breathing in. Every time they took a deep breath, they were breathing in all of these byproducts of the glues on the carpeting and the particle board and the paints and everything. And I had people say they never even experienced headaches after they started that little regiment, so that's just kind of like wow, a little that's really clinical pearl there.
0: Yeah. So I, another question that I often uh, receive is, you know, what constitutes a good prenatal? And I know I'm I'm always talking about um, how important folate is, and, and oh, yeah. it's important to look for a prenatal that doesn't. Um, have folic acid, but a natural folate. So, you know, what What? What are your thoughts on, on folate uh, okay. versus folic acid? Um,
1: well, getting back to years and years and years ago, you know, the March of Dimes, the whole thing was about making sure that women got adequate, and they called it folic acid, um, to try to prevent um, birth defects, because it had been shown that women who did not get in enough of the folic acid definitely were more prone to, to birth defects. The problem is, is that folic acid is not what is actually utilized um, in the body. It's it's actually folate, or the technical term we use is L methyl tetrahydrofolate, and the body has to actually go through about five different enzymatic processes to turn folic acid into the L folate. The, the the activated folate that the body uses that has to be on board at the time of concession. Um, and let me just throw in a little thing here that the reason why I'm so stressing that this is done before you are pregnant is that a lot of people do not realize they are pregnant until after they've just, you know, had a missed period. And it, they're many times like six to eight weeks into the pregnancy before they even make an appointment and actually get started on something. Well, in that week three or four is when they start to have um, um, the brain and the spinal cord and the heart tissue start to develop. And they are so sensitive to lack of methyl donors or the activated methyl that a lot of these very uh, these birth defects could be starting at week three or four and a person doesn't even get started on a prenatal vitamin until week six or eight. And um, I had a, a patient um, that started coming to me after she had had the ultrasound done at like say week 24 and they picked up on the fact that the baby had um, major birth defects. And one of the ways that you can actually pick this up is if you do a a CBC and the person's looking a little anemic, but there are, it's called looking at the indices, and in a person who is iron deficient anemic, they will have what would they call a low MCB. It's a very specific marker in the CBC. Um, But people who are folate deficient, not necessarily folic acid deficient, They're folate deficient. They can be anemic, but they have a very high MCV. And um, I said, so when she started coming to me, um, I did the release of information. I got her original CBC, and the person had totally read the anemia wrong and just told her to take iron, whereas she was really folate deficient. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up doing her um, testing, looking to see if she had a genetic mutation called DL5MTHS reductase, but if you have um, double of that um, mutation, you it is very, very difficult for you to transform any folic acid into the folate, and this is where a person is really set up for um, um, birth defects. So... I would say to anybody that's listening here that if they had any blood relatives that had children that had any type of birth defects at all cardiac um, um, having to do with the spinal canal or something, to say something to their practitioner saying, I think I might have that genetic problem because it runs in families that helps me to maintain an appropriate level. Could that test be done? And that, you know, the practitioner should know what we're talking about. The other thing is just just totally bypass it, just assuming you might have it. And then that's to take the activated folate, which is, again, the term is L5 MTHF. You asked about um, prenatal vitamins. Um, Prenatal vitamins standard come with one milligram of folic acid. I've always told my patients either to go on, you know, the products that I use, Prenatal Pro by Designs for Health, or I have them just add one milligram of the activated folate to their own prenatal. It can never do them any harm, and they should actually start taking this before they are trying to conceive. And that is one point I can't emphasize enough
0: so, so I think some some key points that, that I'm taking away so far is, um, you know, make sure that you detoxify pre prenatal to mm-hmm. be sure to get your your a, a complete thyroid, you know, ask for a complete thyroid panel, but um, at least uh, maybe you could just repeat the the tests that you are. Oh, you're oh for. the Oh, the, the name of the test yes. is called.
1: Uh, everybody abbreviates it, and it's MTHFR, genetic okay. mutation. Anybody writes that down, they know what it is. So if there is any history of the birth defects in the family, they might want to just get that down in the chart that the, um, it's the um, enzymatic defect of transforming right. folic acid into it and just have that in the chart. But now everybody has to have that test done, to just take some activated folate beforehand.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know, if anybody wants to learn more about the MTHFR mutation, there's a great website um, by Dr. Ben Lynch, the um, MTHFR dot net, um, mm-hmm. and I and I think that he also has some sites that you can um, request your own test if your doctor won't do it for you. That was something yeah. that I had to do. So, yeah, um, being so your own advocate. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I think that um, being your own advocate, too, once, once you find out you're pregnant, um, and I think that so many women with PCOS already have low progesterone. And mm. can you sort of explain the role of progesterone early in pregnancy and why, it's so important that we see you know kind of those numbers elevate and okay. you know what as well, a woman Well, I think I'll, we I'll just do. start
1: by saying what the role is progesterone in the body. You know, when we have our cycles, you know, if you want to say from age 12 to age 50 or whatever. The first half of the cycle is the estrogen dominant cycle and that is um, getting ready for ovulation. Then mid-cycle you're supposed to have the ovulatory search And then from the product of the ovulation, the corpus luteum secretes progesterone, and that progesterone helps to keep, if you have a fertilized egg, helps to keep it intact. You need adequate progesterone in order to do that. Some of the signs that I will ask or symptoms I will ask my patients about to try to get an idea of whether or not they're low progesterone and you can just, just you know, everybody can just analyze themselves, is do they get extremely moody in like the seven days before they get the period? That is one sign of low progesterone. Another one is if their periods are very, very heavy, cramps, clots, because progesterone, if the person does not become pregnant, progesterone then is supposed to um, turn that buildup of the endometrial lining into what we call a secretory lining, which is just very easily fluffed off. So if people say to me, yes, I'm extremely moody, or I have heavy periods, or they're clotty and lots and lots of cramps, I will then, before they get pregnant, I will try looking at what we call a day 19 to 21 progesterone level. And if it is on the low side, which I'm assuming I'm going to tell them that they will probably need some progesterone supplementation. The other um, little caveat with that is that sometimes people get pregnant by accident. They didn't think they were able to become pregnant Something happened, a lot of times I will see this even after an illness or or a little surgical procedure. Things, hormones change in your body and all of a sudden it squeaks out an ovulation that you weren't prepared for. And typically what I will find with that, that that is what we call a um, non-optimized egg that is released. Um, when you look at the follicles, you know, the, the ovary starts making the follicles and in, you know, a perfect world, um, the follicle develops to about maybe 15 millimeters and that is the one that is being released. But you'll, when I see write-ups for people who have been for infertility counseling and they've done the ultrasound, they will just say numerous immature follicles, like 8, 9 millimeters, And if one of those releases, guess what? You don't secrete adequate progesterone. So one of the things that I see is sometimes not the infertility that they think they're experiencing, but it's repeated loss at about maybe two weeks into the pregnancy. And there's ways that. that that can be checked for, but if they have low progesterone, they can't hold on to the pregnancy. So I will have people do, you know, get the multi-kit that they the ovulation see when they ovulate, and then I'll have them do a, a blood work, say, seven days later, and actually look for their progesterone levels. I wish there were little kits that they could do at home for progesterone levels, but you can't. But um, But that is just so important. Um, And then talking about the infertility, because what I want them to do is if they are suffering from infertility, I'm going to look at the underlying causes that we know are associated with PCOS. That is usually the high insulin levels. The high insulin levels increase the androgen levels, which, you know, people experience with the acne, sometimes a little bit of the hirsutism, the typical symptoms of PCOS and um then the um, it is actually the high androgens that causes a problem with an imbalance of the fSH to LH, which then is responsible for the infertility so Um, One of the things I had done for years, and I have to give, I always say I have to give credit where credit is due. And one of the main pioneers in the area of infertility in PCOS women was Dr. John Nessler out of the Medical College of Virginia. So wherever you are, Dr. Nessler, I'm giving you credit. And I can remember talking to him probably 10 years ago at a conference, and he said that he was actually studying um, the role of um, dechiroinositol deficiency in women with PCOS. You can remember, this is 10 years ago. He was studying this. He was a real pioneer. And so one of the things that they have found with um, women who have PCOS is that they have a decreased conversion of Myo inositol in their body to D and D chiroinositol is very very important in insulin metabolism in the body. And when you have poor metabolism, you'll have higher insulin levels, which then contributes to this whole cascade that I was just referring to. So I am so happy, you know, that um, that I know Design for Health just came out with a product called Obaben, where they put D chiroinositol with the myoinositol to try to overcome this. it's. I always love to say in my practice that I will never do anybody any harm. Um, and so they have found with women who have PCOS that taking a combination of the d with the myoinositol actually does help with decreasing the insulin levels and help to produce um, ovulation and yeah. that's i, I know it it sounds very technical but i was just you know after years and years and years of his research we actually do finally have you know products available that have this um mixture and um i do is, is 1600 to myo2 100 of dtiro and um it really really helps um because so many people have just um depleted their savings accounts trying to go for infertility um Treatment and 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 they still don't have a child to to show for it. So I am I am a firm believer in anything that we can do naturally ahead of time in terms of trying to lower the insulin levels, and that would be taking away the high glycemic foods in their diets um, that stimulate the insulin response, um, taking in the nutrients that are. Helpful um, in insulin metabolism, and that would include um, chromium, um, and um, and then also I put them on the the, um, the ovabend, and then I have them check to see if that they um, ovulate. Um, that's something they can do at home, but that, that's just another. I, I don't, would you agree with me that that's not a very well known fact out there in terms of the um, problem of conversion to dekyronocetol in PCOS women?
0: You know, I think it's becoming um, more I mean, well known, I guess, with the, um, there, there's another supplement that, that recently hit the market called Avocetol. And mm-hmm. um, I know I, I've been writing about um, D-Chyro Inositol for, for a while, and if anybody, I, I could post some links to the, the articles mm-hmm. about Inositol Mayo and, and D-Chyro on my site. So I think that the word's getting out, and I think the fact that it's really relatively affordable um, yes. is, is helping. And has a true too Yeah. Yeah. Um, so he, I, I love that, that you had mentioned um, that the combo and, and that, you know, there are other products, like you said, all, Ova, Ova ben, Ova ben.
1: Um, mm-hmm. um
0: by Health has come out with a, a combo product as well. Um, so something that I think, again, women need to – um, advocate for themselves. I know uh, I just went for my OBGYN um annual exam with a new doctor and you know told her that I had PCOS and asked if she had ever heard of myoinositol or if she recommends it to her PCOS patients and she said yes. uh myo what? So myo I mean, what? I think, they don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I I think um you know we have to become educated and know what what is out there and what can help us? And you know we have to ask for ask for it. And like you right. said, it, it really can't do any harm. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, and the other thing that I wanted to just kind of um, go back to, you had mentioned progesterone supplementation. I think there's yeah. a lot of confusion about that. I know a lot of women have taken Provera um, to induce Ooh. period. Periods. Oh, right. 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 Right, which is um, maybe you could kind of explain the difference between Provera and, you know, Prometrium or, um, you know, what are yeah. you using for supplementation for progesterone? Yeah,
1: Provera, actually for a company to get a Legend or to be a prescription, um, they, they don't use the, you know, the natural occurring. So um, Provera is an artificial progestin. Um, and it was first came out to be used um, to oppose um, um, just standard estrogen replacement therapy in women that were postmenopausal. Because I don't remember all those studies that were coming out. Women that were just getting plain estrogen replacement were all coming down with endometrial cancer. And so then the company came out with a Provera to give them um, um, supplementation on the progestin part. And it is used if a person has gone for a long time without a period. People do use Provera. Um, it is efficient in terms of um, producing what we call a withdrawal bleed. But it's not anything that I would ever use with a woman that I was trying to supplement a natural progesterone during her pregnancy. Um, I'll give you, like, an example with one of my patients um um, she had had already three losses, so very very early losses. So I already knew we were having a problem with progesterone. So when she um, did get pregnant, I was I monitored her progesterone level, and I put her on prometrium, a hundred milligrams every night, to help maintain her levels. And, again, this is an area where people need to advocate or just search around until they find somebody who is knowledgeable in this area because there is a lot of resistance about taking supplemental progesterone um, during a pregnancy. Um, But it, it can make the difference between an early miscarriage or the other thing that can happen is if the placenta has not built up to its optimal level, we the person can have a very early um, um, premature delivery because what happens is that there is what we call early placental degradation, and that can happen as early as like 24 weeks. And I know of another specific case where that happened. The baby was born at 20, 24 weeks. Thank God she was in a... Um, in a hospital medical care center where they were able to resuscitate the baby, and um, um, and I'll just throw in another little caveat. If a person has a a very, very early um, delivery that through their breast milk, they just need to supplement that baby as much as possible, so then taking extra EPA, DHA, vitamins, vitamin D, everything, because that's what nourishes the baby. But that woman now is pregnant again, and so therefore we are making sure that she is getting adequate progesterone throughout the pregnancy to make sure that she does not have a um, an early uh, delivery again. And it is working; it is working just fine.
0: So, why do you think there's so much resistance? Because it wasn't part of, of
1: the original training. Um, I, I have a very good friend who is a functional medicine OBGYN and he will readily just, you know, totally admit that this was not taught in their training. And then when you look at, you know, where, where do doctors and nurse practitioners and a lot of other medical practitioners get their training or additional, you know, um, contact or CEUs or whatever, most of it is through drug companies. So there's not money to be made in either whether they're supplementing with brometrium or um, with even transdermal progesterone. There's no money to be made in this. So it certainly is not something where they're trying to lure doctors to um, go to a lecture where they've sponsored the speaker on this because there's just no money to be made. That That's, that's the reality of it. So that's the reason why I think it's so important that a woman who is embarking on wanting to be pregnant is going to find an OBGYN that is, if not totally knowledgeable themselves, but very, very open to working with an integrated practitioner who will be monitoring some of these hormone levels.
0: Mm -hmm. And And so I I I have
1: who those are in our area and those are where I direct my patients.
0: I, I put out a um, P S 101 guide, and part of that is um, to help women sort of find the doctor and how to interview the doctor, because really in reality your doctor is working for you. And, and you know, I think we tend to forget that. So I think that is, is such a, a good point, that you need to find a doctor that's that's willing to be open to this type of protocol, or um, and if they mm-hmm. don't know about it, to be willing to work with um, practitioners like you kind of in combination because it really does take a team. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and w- w- a woman with PCOS really needs to sort of have a, a medical kind of team working for her. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, great point. Yeah, I, I just, um, lastly, I want to touch upon, the the risk of gestational diabetes for women with PCOS. Yeah. Um, yes. Maybe you could kind of speak to that. Okay, uh, since diabetes is one of my
1: um, <laughs> one mm-hmm. of my areas of, of passion, um, the, during the pregnancy, we know that that is a time of increased insulin resistance. So, um, it is. So important for a woman to try to avoid as much as possible what we call the very high glycemic foods. That would be anything that is made like with a flour, you know, like the bread, the muffins, the pancakes, the waffles, the cookies, the croissants, everything like that that's made with a flour. The other thing that I kind of uses a little kind of down and dirty way to ascertain whether or not something of food is a high glycemic, is to say, if you put a few drops of very hot water on it and rubbed it between your two of your fingers, would it become sticky? The reason why I give that as an example is there's a big difference between um, steel-cut, you know, long-cooking oats for oatmeal and instant oatmeal. Mm. They're both not the same glycemic index by what I mean by glycemic index, is when you ingest the food, how fast does your body try to compensate by secreting insulin? So if you were to take in a lot of sugar or eat a lot of crackers or instant oatmeal, we would see a surge of insulin in the body. If you were to eat, say, steel-cut oats or other type of breakfasts that are much higher in protein rather than flours, you're going to see a much lower insulin response. So this is just even important for women with PCOS in general to to lower their glycemic index. But as they're going through the pregnancy, what they're going to do is they're going to look to see whether or not your you know your blood sugar really rises um, when you take the, the standard test, the 50 gram. Um, The one thing I would just counsel with that is some people are very fast to try to put a person on insulin when their blood sugars go up. I have asked my women or told them that I will even supply for them glucose monitors and saying, but I don't eat like that. I don't drink glucola for breakfast. My blood sugars do not go up with the way that I eat because I think it is a travesty to start being putting women on insulin during their pregnancy when they oh don't gosh. need it. They don't need it, and they're not really gestationally diabetic. They just give them a whole load of sugar that their body is not used to, and then you'll see the excursion in the blood sugar on the test. You get this diagnosis of gestational diabetes. Then you put on insulin, and then you're also, a lot of times I've seen them being put on high-carbohydrate diets so their blood sugars don't drop. I mean, this is just like a vicious cycle. And then then the baby gets big because what is it that causes the baby to get large? It's not the blood sugar, it's the insulin. So when they're giving more and more insulin to cover the blood sugars associated with the carbohydrates they're eating, this is where they have a possible problem with what we call a macrosomic baby. Or they're going to take the baby early because the baby is big. Mm -hmm.
0: I know that was a lot of information in about, but that's... No, but I think the nugget is really, again, to be advocating for yourself and, you know, if you're concerned about your blood sugar, to ask you, and I know I've, I did this in the past, ask my doctor to prescribe a glucometer so that I could yeah. really know what was going on. And, and gosh, that, that information is really empowering to be able to kind of say, look, this is what's happening, um, and actually have data to back it up. Um, right, and saying my blood sugars are not really
1: going up to the level that you found when you gave me a lot of sugar to drink, which is something I never
0: ever do. Right, right. Um, yeah, it's just this, this. There's just been such a wealth of information in this this call today, and. Um, you know, I know that and then, can so I many... just mention one other thing
1: that okay. I thought um, about because I had a, a little note to myself to mention this mm-hmm. is not only just gestational diabetes but looking at like um, preeclampsia when women may start to see a rise in their blood pressure towards mm-hmm. the end of the pregnancy mm-hmm. um, and many times that is associated with a magnesium deficiency. Oh, interesting. And yes, yes. And I, I think they call magnesium deficiency one of the, the, the highest um, deficiencies in the United States that is not diagnosed because nobody does. A magnesium level, or what I do is a magnesium RBC level. And I've, I've had people, okay, we're not talking about pregnancy right now, but just the correlation is, I've had people come to me and say on three types of antihypertensive medications, and they still can't get their blood pressure down. And when they do their RBC, their red blood cell, looking at their three month level of magnesium in their body, it's like negligible. You can't find it. And they said, here, you're taking all these meds to try to lower your blood pressure, but Magnesium is so important for vasodilatation in the body. So another little take-home caveat is that many times just taking good magnesium supplementation. If the blood pressure is started to rise a little bit, because I'll tell you, you really need to take some supplement because you just can't eat enough vegetables and leave it right. green to actually bring it up. But again, you can't overdose on magnesium. I mean, when I was in the hospital setting, when we would get people in with, you know, you know, toxemia, blood pressures off the wall, you know, at 38 weeks, you know what we gave them? IV magnesium. <laughs>
0: Oh, this is so such great. You well, know, this is
1: something that women can do ahead of time and just take the magnesium. I'm not talking about liquid magnesia. I'm talking about a good chelated magnesium, like a magnesium citrate, a magnesium malate, a magnesium glycinate, one that actually gets mm-hmm. absorbed into the body and taken up. Mm-hmm. They yeah. can do this on their own. Get a $50 blood pressure kit. Monitor it. See if it's coming down as you're doing magnesium, you know, 400 milligrams twice a day. Bring it up to 800 if you need it. The worst that you could ever say is you might get a little diarrhea. But if you see your blood pressure coming down, you have saved yourself from going into a preeclampsic state.
0: And I think just, too, for women with PCOS in general, I write about magnesium on my blog. Um, I take it every day, and I know it really... Helps me tremendously with anxiety. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's really that calming mineral, yes. and yes. Um, I think it's helpful. You know, it, certainly this—what a great tip about um, preeclampsia and, and adding magnesium to help stave that off. But also, just in general, women with PCOS—you um, know—I think magnesium is just so helpful on so many levels. Actually. Actually, because we know insulin
1: resistance is such a huge part of of PCOS, and when you have higher insulin levels, it actually increases the loss of magnesium.
0: So there is actually a correlation. Oh, interesting. Yeah. Um, Gosh, I think I could probably (laughs) keep you on the the phone for another hour. Um, But, you know, we're going to wrap up um, tonight. And I... Would love for you. I always ask uh, experts that that I speak to, to to leave us with a message of hope. I think so many women with PCOS, um, you know, often feel like you know this is a a syndrome that is going to be with them for the rest of their lives, and um, you know, have just been really struggling with fertility. Um, you know, may have had a miscarriage, um, but. You know, what would your your hopeful message be for
1: us? Well, that in my years of practice, I've seen so many women that have come to me with a diagnosis of PCOS and they have just resigned themselves, that they just will never be able to have their own baby. And I have worked with them on their insulin resistance. I've put them on nutritional supplements cleaned up their diet, they had dysbiosis, I put them on probiotics, I give them the vitamin and the, the mineral nutrients, you know, we monitor, and um, um, you, know, you know how in sports they talk about a hall of fame. Well, on my wall in my office, I call it my wall of picture fame because I am now <laughs> collecting the pictures of all of the beautiful babies that have been born to the women who thought they could never have a child.
0: Oh, I love it. so inspirational. So so tell us just a little bit about your practice before we go. Um, okay. Where, all right, where I'm, you're
1: located. I'm from Connecticut, and I... Um, as you said, I'm a nurse practitioner. Very fortunate in Connecticut that I can have my own my own practice, and um, and then um, our consulting um, um, business. Um, if anybody's interested in the um, in the email, it's um, Ward Murray HCC, and that's for Ward W A R D M U R R A Y. HCC, which is short for healthcare consulting, um, at yahoo.com. So again, Ward Murray HCC at yahoo.com is what we use for our long-distance consultations. Um, I don't need to see a person in my office. I've consulted as far away as Africa. I follow my patients. I the 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 consultation, you know, would it could include um, a looking at what they've had done so far, what their underlying problems are, um, suggestions or whatever. Each thing is different, you know. We would find out what it is that they would want from the consultation. But you know, nobody has to fly in from across the country. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, so much of this can be done long distance. So you know, if somebody is interested in that, they can just um, use that um, email.
0: Great, and I will post that as well underneath the, the podcast review. Yeah.
1: And, um, and one
0: last thing, if I can also put in,
1: if if, if um, I don't know if there's any practitioners um, listening, but I am going to be doing a presentation for um, practitioners um, in the Atlantic Atlanta, Georgia area on June sixth, um, and that is on the Designs for Health website. And um, what I love about this, and the title is um, PCOS and Autoimmunity. And I just um, recently uh, also did one in uh, the Tampa area. And what is so wonderful is to have a room packed full of practitioners who really want to know. And so what I do is I give them the science, the research behind it, how to work them up, how, how what the treatment um, proto you know um, procedure would be, and having them afterwards thank you for. For the knowledge that they can bring back to their practice on Monday and start treating um, the women with PCOS in an integrative, holistic manner, that to uh, me is 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 wonderful. So I am. It is it is not is not for the lay public, but um, if they if they wanted to, they could download it off of it if they Uh, because people fly in, they always do it right by, you know, the hotel hotel is right by the airport, so people can just, you know, fly in for, you know, it's just on a Saturday. And um, so not only do I help my patients, but I love helping to educate others so that they can go back to where they practice and then being able to help all the women in that area.
0: Oh, my gosh. On behalf of women with PCOS, thank you, because... It, that, that is just so needed. So many doctors don't really have a good understanding of PCOS and how to help their patients, and we need more people like you, Rebecca, to um, kind of be our warriors out there. So, so thank you, and um, thank you for the, for the time that you, you took to really explain, you know, good prenatal care for, for women with PCOS.
1: Yeah, because we want them to get pregnant, but we want them to have the most perfect baby possible also.
0: Well, that sounds good to me. And uh, I just want to thank everybody that was listening, and I look forward to uh, joining you again soon. Bye-bye. Okay. Thank you. Bye.